Hey. Hello. We're back. We're back. Now we're back. We are, and we're back. <laughs> like, um, Jimmy Fallon as uh -huh. the, I think like the Access Hollywood guy. Uh huh. Back. Yeah. <laughs> Such an obscure reference. Um, anyway. I love it. That's what we're all about here. Yeah. Obscure pop culture references. Speaking of references, I feel like Edna from The Incredibles in these these glasses, and I'm a fan. I see that. Like... I see that. <laughs> uh -huh. You are. You are Edna from The Incredibles. Yeah. <laughs> That's who you are. Yeah. That's who I, who I strive I, to be. I am none of them. I'm Boo from Monsters, Inc. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ugh. Okay, uh, yes. Still talking about Wrinkle in Time. Uh, this is our last Wrinkle in Time episode mm -hmm. because uh, next next weekend, oh, the next weekend from the one that this episode will be released is a major holiday in mm -hmm. much of the world. Mm -hmm. So we're gonna we're gonna not release. An episode on that day. We're gonna take some time. We're gonna take some time. Take time to realize. I don't. But don't Colby Calais sang the song. Uh huh. <laughs> yep. If I just realized, realized what, what I you just, just realized. realized. I was like, oh wow, okay. She's, she's Christmas is realization. Yeah. <laughs> it is. Yeah. And, you know, like, we know not everybody celebrates Christmas, but we figured it was a good time to take a break. So Yeah. Take, take a break. A break. <laughs> let's go for the summer. Let's go upstate. Go upstate. Wait, okay. That's enough. That's enough singing. No more. No more We have singing. to get through this episode with no more singing no. because oh, we used no. up our quota. Oh, no. We used up our quota. <laughs> Shoot. Okay. Well, Aaron, what did what did we talk about last time? <laughs> so last time on the Pop DNAs, we talked mm -hmm. about um, kind of the elements of the world of Wrinkle in Time, and used those elements to determine what the genre even is for this here piece of um, piece of fiction. Yeah. And what is the genre? What we is, still don't know. <laughs> we still don't know. It's kind of up to you. We still don't know what genre it is. Yeah. Um, um yeah. that's yeah, that's cool. Um <laughs> that's cool. Cool, cool. cool. <laughs> that's cool. Cool, 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 cool. Uh yeah. Yeah. And I think it's still, you know, uh hopefully uh you gave us you gave us your ideas, listeners mm -hmm. and viewers, what what genre you think Wrinkle in Time is. Yeah. Um we don't have those answers because we're recording this five minutes later. Yes. But <laughs> yes. But uh, yeah, maybe we can add some of those to Instagram or something. Yeah. Do some shout out shout outs if you yeah. Anyway, yeah. uh, yes, this week it's our last Wrinkle in Time episode. It's been a it's been a great ride. Um, I think let's get into it. Yeah, this week specifically, we're talking about why it's important to keep in mind who this is for and uh -huh. who this was intended for and why that's important, right? Like the author right. 
decided that this was a story she was going to tell in the sphere of like yeah, a young child's fiction, right? She did not write this story for like specifically for an adult audience. She kept it for children and that's really important mm-hmm. to the piece. Um yeah. So when I, I don't know about you, I, well, maybe I do because we mentioned it, but when mm-hmm. I was reading this, this was the scariest you know, thing. You know everything about me, Erin. Aww. <laughs> and you, the same. I don't, anyway. Um, and to me, the same also. Also. What was that? That was from something. Um, Probably. Yeah. And to you also, the, yeah, anyway. Um, the same to me. <laughs> Yeah. Um, oh, and to you, the self-same good wishes. Oh my gosh, that's from something. Um, oh, well, that is from something. And to what you, the self-same good wishes. Um, when, is that Win a Date with Tad Hamilton? Yes! Is that, that what it's from? Yes! That's what it is! <laughs> I love when uh, when she's talking to Tad Hamilton. Uh-huh. And to you, the self-same, self-same good wishes. Good wishes. Oh, I, I love, love that. that. That's one of I love that movie. Anyway, um another obscure pop culture reference yeah. brought to you by Pop DNA. Brought to you by Pop DNA. Um so this was the most terrified I'd ever been when I read this in third grade. This was like so scary. And it's really important that it was scary. Like that was very purposeful. Um And it just led me to think about this divide we have between children's books that allow for children to be scared and children's books that sugarcoat everything and don't really want to let children go there. Um, And my staunch belief that it is important for children to access scary media Um, to a degree, like maybe not watching like the clown it maybe maybe we don't need to do that but i do think it's interesting <laughs> like it's really important Saw for kids or remember how we, we had like knife knives out kids and <laughs> Junior. Right. right 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 um <laughs> so perhaps not those pieces but i do think it's important <laughs> um for children to access danger and fear in in media and i'll tell you why so please um, do miss master's degree in oh dear development oh oh dear um (laughs) so as a whole i believe that children can handle much more than we give them credit for and yeah so i have a few thoughts on kind of this conversation about like how far do we let children go and how much do we give children in terms of like scary media? So, uh, Oh, I just jumped. Uh, where'd Oop. it go? Oops. Oop. Oops. Um, so as we give children media, it's in many ways a, a place for them to grapple with the things that are happening to them in real life. We've talked about this, I think, with the Hunger Games and with a few other. Yeah. Um, media is a safe vacuum for children to think about 
things that are already happening in their lives, things they've already Mm -hmm. encountered or things that they will encounter later in life. Um, And that is the central reason why it's important to give children these themes of loss and these themes of danger um, that they're given in Wrinkle in Time. So in many ways, A Wrinkle in Time really replicates exactly what happens as we encounter these more adult themes of loss and of fear and of kind of trying circumstances. Um, So Meg, Charles Wallace, and Calvin go on this adventure throughout the universe, and they're not ready for it in the same Mm -hmm. way that we're not ready as children to access adult themes, but they still happen. They like, Mm -hmm. and a lot of people think children don't see those things or don't hear those, those concepts, but they very much like children are, are really smart. You guys, (laughs) they're, Mm -hmm. they're intelligent people. Um, We see this in the book as, it's a very like as even though Uriel is very much a um perfected world, it's still a little bit scary that they've met these three kind of magical beings and gone into a you know the universe in a different way than they've ever experienced, so it's very much daunting and scary, but it's also magical um but then there's a moment where the three Mrs. Ws are no longer able. Um, to tesser with them and they say sorry like we um we can no longer do this we have to go and the children have to figure it out on their own um it you know in a in a lot of ways it reminds me of that scene in bambi (laughs) where um (laughs) where he experiences that loss and like becomes an adult as a result. That's what happens to Mm -hmm. all of us as we become adults is there's always that moment of, Oh, Oh, I'm no longer really protected anymore. I'm no longer, Mm -hmm. um, I'm no longer a little egg. I am very much in the world and making my own splashes and doing my own, making my own actions. And we see this even as Meg has to go and, find her father like she has mm-hmm. to save him and the roles reverse um right. we see that in a whole lot of places in um wrinkle in time and i think that's a lot of the point of this book is talking about giving children the ability to think about these moments they're already accessing i think by 10 and 11 we're already kind of taking on those responsibilities yeah or we're starting to think about it and we're starting to observe the adults in our life taking on those responsibilities with like, you know, with still with like a child's perspective, but we're starting to kind of realize psychologically that there's other perspectives outside of ours. Right. It at around that age. So yeah. And it's why like, in early childhood education, you have children resolve disputes by themselves and you step in if anyone's like really causing anyone else pain. But it's really important to give those lessons in a safe space of a classroom or Mm -hmm. of a children's book of figuring out how you're going to be in the world. And I think that's something that A Wrinkle in Time really does really well. For me, it was A Wrinkle in Time and Ella Enchanted that really gave me my first like oh, life can be really scary. And I got to think about that 
before it was for me, but a lot of mm-hmm. children experience trauma and they need right. a place for to grapple with these things and kind of resolve those things in their in their minds, which I think is what's most important about any of this. So the children get abandoned by the Mrs. W's. We see this in the change that we get in Charles Wallace when he's taken over by the IT. Loss of innocence um, that we see with Charles Wallace. We really see that um, as he gets taken over by IT and he gets really mean for the first time. He's no longer like this sweet, Mm -hmm. smart kid. He's kind of conforming to how the bullies are on earth. All of these are ways that um, Langle really thinks about the evil of conformity and the evil of um, losing that innocence and kind of, it starts to become that's the villain of the piece is like not considering your child like innocence as you're an adult, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's really important I think so that children don't lose that um, childlike quality to give them these um, narratives that allow them to consider danger and how they're going to how they're going to react to that kind of thing in the world around them. Right. There was a really interesting study done as well um, about the importance of danger on the playground. So kind of in the same way that Mm. novels are a safe space for children to grapple with these things, like cognitively, the playground is Mm -hmm. the place for them to grapple with danger in the physical space. So what am I capable of and what am I not capable of? I can go on monkey bars and swings and down the slide because I know what my body is is capable of. Mm Mm-hmm. Children have to learn how to be in the world. And that's why we write these arguably too scary narratives for them. Because they're gonna, (laughs) like, as an adult, you're gonna go through things, right? As a child, you're gonna go through things. And you, yeah. Yeah. And I loved the list you had here of some books. I just, um, so these are all... So a few of these are books that I sort of discovered um, a couple years ago when I was trying to write a middle grade novel and that it didn't, maybe I still will, we'll see. Yeah. But um, I was reading, I was reading a lot of middle grade novels about like how they, you know, how they handle scary and dark themes for children and how they, you know, how they're exploring that through a child's perspective. Um, and some really, really great ones that I came across um, were the Small Spaces series by Catherine Arden, which um, I think currently there are three books and there's a fourth one coming soon. Yeah. I think this actually, the first Small Spaces book actually reminded me, uh, um, the main character reminds me a little bit of Meg from A Wrinkle in Time. Yeah. Um, it's very, very much that kind of like misfit feeling, yeah. like you know, not quite fitting in, uh, not quite comfortable in your own skin. And then another really good one is "A Monster Calls" by Patrick Ness, which I believe was adapted into a movie uh-huh. at some point. If it's the same one that I'm thinking of, cool. Um, and then some other like slightly older. But still, 
21st century um, books, Coraline and the Graveyard Book, both by Neil Gaiman. Terrifying. Right. Uh, um, But really, really interesting explorations of these dark, scary ideas. Yeah. Um, And then also a series of unfortunate events. Yeah. By Lemony Snicket, which... Also, the the Netflix TV series based on on the books is also a very good. And then we also have the Giver Quartet by Lois Lowry. Yeah, um, I think the Giver in particular gives us an interesting view of a society that appears to be utopian, but again is dystopian. So there's that another good one to read alongside with. Um, a Wrinkle in Time's exploration of Camazots. Yeah. And then I also don't feel like a discussion of A Wrinkle in Time and its place within children's fiction would be complete without talking about the Chronicles of Narnia. Right. Um, because they were, so the Chronicles of Narnia were all like, in, all seven of them were, released like in the 1950s i think yeah like before 1960 um and then we have a wrinkle in time in 1962 and lewis and lingle actually have like there's a lot of similarities between them that you can kind of draw out like they both definitely have like religion mm-hmm. and religious themes being like foundational to their stories and then they also both have this pattern of you know, at the end of the book, the children return to the ordinary world and they're now tasked with navigating their, you know, going back to their old life and navigating the world with this new knowledge and this new perspective that they've gained yeah. from this fantastical adventure. And I think that that idea has kind of become foundational to children's fiction and children's fantasy um we see it in so much you know of the of the works that that have come after yeah um and even like like i mean it started with like alice in wonderland right is kind of within that same vein and i think that it's like you know as we were kind of discussing um with the ideas of like danger and kind of this this age like Middle grade is for children ages like 8 to 12, I believe, mm-hmm. 8 to like 12, 13, maybe even 14. Um, but like that age is when you're really starting to explore your place within the world and and you're first starting to conceptualize the idea of like one's self, yeah, like one's identity and one's like how you conceive or how you perceive of yourself. And so the fantastical adventure in these stories, we can kind of read as a metaphor for children's awakening into adult ways of thinking. Yeah. Um, as, as you kind of alluded to earlier, it's like saying goodbye to childhood and then moving into adolescence or young adulthood. So really like, I think I think you mentioned this before as well. Like these stories are a way for children to explore and process like these fears and these desires and emotions and psychological ideas that they're currently like just starting to deal with, just starting yeah. to grapple with, but they don't 
understand it yet. Right. Um, and so these stories with these kind of fantastical mm-hmm. adventures and these, you know, fairy tales kind of function the same way for much younger children, that it gives them this this world, this story that's detached from the reality that they know, but it offers them a way to process what they're feeling and what yeah. they're experiencing in in a really, you know, kind of visceral, emotional way. Yeah. And then deal with whatever it is they're dealing with in the real world. Yeah. After having processed that through this story. So yeah, yeah. that's uh I, I I hard agree agree with you there. I, um. <laughs> I think it also, just as an ending note, I think it also pairs self-efficacy with magic in a way that's really right. cool. Like, look right. at all that you can be in the world. You know, you can mm-hmm. be a superhero. You can be magical in your um, your pursuits of the things you love. Yeah. And I think that Something that the 2018 A Wrinkle in Time adaptation captured really well is keeping that childlike perspective on the story. Yeah. You know, I think that it it got kind of mixed reviews mm-hmm. from critics. You know, I think the things that were kind of praised the most were it, um, the direction, Ava DuVernay's direction, and Storm Reed, which we haven't talked about her at all yet, and she does an amazing job. She's, she's phenomenal. so wonderful. Uh, she's so perfect, um, and her performance is praised a lot. But a lot of reviews, according to this kind of aggregate review summary, <laughs> um, found, uh, a lot of them found issue with the film's heavy use of CGI and numerous plot holes which i don't know what they're (laughs) what plot holes what are you talking about i just Um, (laughs) they're fantasy worlds what do you mean there's too much cgi okay yeah (laughs) okay and like how would you have done this without using cgi i don't know um yes so (laughs) let's look at like i wanted to look at like kind of the breakdown of like how these reviews actually like where they actually fall mm-hmm. um so on rotten tomatoes it has an approval rating of 42 percent based on 336 reviews wow. but the way that rotten tomatoes works is kind of like the aggregate score is kind of misleading because they're saying that they're not saying that the movie got a 42 percent score uh-huh. they're saying that 42 percent of the reviews were positive oh or generally positive okay um and it it has an average rating of 5.3 out of 10 which is above average Mm -hmm. and then uh rotten tomatoes critical consensus says a wrinkle in time is visually gorgeous big-hearted and occasionally quite moving unfortunately it's also wildly ambitious to a fault and often less than the sum of its classic parts um metacritic which i think is sometimes a better metric for you know for measuring how people actually feel about a movie right um so on metacritic it has a weighted average score of 53 out of 100 so that matches with rotten tomatoes average score indicating mixed or average reviews um cinema score 
gives it that based on based on um critic and user scores gives it an average grade of B that uses an A plus to F scale. Okay. And then post chalk, which I haven't looked into this one very much, but this seems like an interesting way of doing because they they broke it down by audience, um, by audience age. Oh. Um, and so they note that audience members under the age of 18 gave A Wrinkle in Time an average grade of A- and a positive score of 89%. So 89% of the audience members under the age of 18 gave it a positive yeah. score. Liked it. So I think that's where we kind of need to focus. Yeah. Because, like, under 18, like, that's who it's made for. Yeah. So it matters if they like it, right? Yeah. I think one review that I personally agree with quite a bit, though not 100%, um, but it kind of sums up kind of how I felt when I first watched the movie, um, is the one from the New York Times, mm-hmm. um, which says, I would describe the overall experience as satisfaction rather than awe. A Wrinkle in Time, faithful to the affirmative democratic intelligence of the book, is also committed to serving its most loyal and susceptible audience. This is unapologetically a children's movie. Yeah. By turns gentle, thrilling, and didactic, but missing the extra dimension of terror and wonder that would have transcended the genre. Thankfully, though, Ms. DuVernay has dispensed with the winking and cutesiness that are Hollywood's preferred ways of pandering and condescending to grownups. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I'm kind of tired of that. Yeah. Um, Shrek, I'm looking at you. Um, The the best way to appreciate what she has done. This is what I agree with the most. The best way to appreciate what she has done is in the company of a curious and eager 10-year-old. Or, if you're really lucky, to locate that innocent, skeptical, open-hearted version of yourself. Yeah. It's like, yes, like, I didn't didn't see this movie with a 10-year-old, but I think in many ways I am emotionally like a 10-year-old. So, I and I think, like, for... You know, for people who read the book as a child, I think it was easier for me to kind of get into the mindset that I was in as a child when I first read the book. Yeah. So I think that that does help a little bit. But I also think that kind of like the crux of these reviews that are like decrying the use of CGI, like like we said, like how else are you going to make this movie without using CGI? Tell me how. Um. Or really any of the stylistic elements, like those kind of like direct direction, directorial <laughs> or like style choices. Like if you're critiquing those, you're kind of missing the point of the movie, mm-hmm. I think. And I think that this also kind of speaks to a, a systemic problem within Hollywood and within the movie reviewing industry not just in the movie industry but like in movie reviews yeah so this is something that uh brie larson talked about when she gave a speech during um the it was in 2018 in the women in film awards in los angeles um you can find her speech on youtube we can link it so she cited the or she referenced like the critical reception of a wrinkle in time to kind of illustrate this issue that she's talking about. 
she um, cites this data from USC's Annenberg Inclusion Initiative, um, which in 2017 found that only 2.5% of top critics were women of color, while 80% of film critics who reviewed the year's top box office movies were male. And to uh, kind of highlight her point, she talked about how critics received a wrinkle in time. This is quoting direct, directly from her speech. She says, Our industry has gone through a major growth. We are expanding to make films that better reflect the people that buy movie tickets. But they are not allowed, by they she means movie movie critics, movie reviewers, um, are not allowed enough chances to read public discourse on these films by the people that these films were made for. I don't need a 40-year-old white dude to tell me what didn't work about A Wrinkle in Time. Yeah. It wasn't made for him. I want to know what it meant to women of color, biracial women, to teen women of color, to teens that are biracial. Yeah. I want to know what my work means to the world, not a narrow view. And I think that's such, like, you, you should watch her be, do the speech because she, you know, does it better. She's an Oscar-winning actress, so, you know. But I think that that, like, that she's really highlighting what the real problem is here. Because, yeah. like, the negative reviews are not the point. Like, that's no. not the real issue. Like, everyone's going to have different tastes and different opinions on movies like yeah that's the nature of art that's the nature yeah. of the criticism of art but the point is that you know for the most part we're only hearing critiques from one specific demographic yeah. of society it's not representative of the entire population. And so in general, we're not hearing it as Larson calls it public discourse from people whose opinions matter and are more closely tied to the films specifically with a wrinkle in time, but in general with films that are made by and for women, people of color, people of other marginalized identities. Yeah. Like we're not hearing from the perspectives of those people, what they right. thought of those movies. Right. Um, and that's a problem. Huge problem. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely. Because, like, in her speech, she also kind of breaks down a solution to, like, how, yeah. it, you know, we, like, the industry could be more inclusive. Um, yeah. And, yeah, so go watch her speech. Uh, we'll link it. But, yeah, I also just really love Brie Larson. And yeah. I think she's a fantastic human. Yeah. She's wonderful. <laughs> and. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Just the internet as a whole, yeah. sometimes anyway. there's just this, like, stunningly negative. <laughs> like, just enjoy a thing. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. But, you know, that's that's kind of what Meg learns in A Wrinkle in Time, right? Yeah. But... Anyway, that's what we're all learning all the time. Yes. We took a quiz. We did. And my AirPods are done now. So I'm going to take uh -oh. them out. Um, maybe one is still okay. working. Okay. <laughs> um, I can still hear you in one and I'll charge them and then I'll charge one half. Okay. Yes. We took a quiz. Who are you on the quiz? Excellent. Um, I was the dad. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Dr. Alex Murray. I feel like this is a pretty accurate description of me. Like I'm not a, I'm not a physicist, but. Uh... No, but you're a smart human. <laughs> That's true. Like, I just agree with you. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. 
<laughs> but who were you? I was Mrs. What's It. Yes. Mm. As a preschool teacher, I yeah. feel, yes. <laughs> I feel that that is accurate. I see it. Yeah. I see it. Yeah. I think we all aspire to be Mrs. What's It. Uh-huh. I think that's that's the goal. That's the dream. That's the goal. Um, yeah. Wrinkle it, in time. It's hard to call this, like, I don't think I'll ever be done thinking about this Mm-mm. this series. You know, it's, it's hard. No. I still have the book that I I bought from a used bookstore when I was I think I must have been like I must have been like 10 or 11 when I bought this but I'd already read the book but um I just wanted to show everyone who's watching on YouTube that it has this little Scooby Doo it has name a Sco- tag in it Does the Scooby Doo <laughs> it's it's your name it's saying that it's your name Yeah Aww. it says this book belongs to Rhonda yeah, There Aw, uh-huh. yeah, we do. Anyway, that's what was popular when I yeah <laughs> read this book. Um, zoinks, Scoob, zoinks. Uh, what are we gonna talk about next month? We're... Is there a devil involved? And is also Prada involved? And Prada, and like, a... and Stanley Tucci. And like an 800 page book that I read and actually really liked. Oh, is it 800 pages? It's long. It's that long. It's freaking long. It is pretty long. Yeah. 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 We're going to talk about Devil Wears Prada. Devil Wears Prada. Woo. Yeah. And I think that'll be fun. Yeah. Less of like a heavy conversation, perhaps. Uh (laughs) Yeah. Oh, we'll find a way. We'll find a way to make it heavy. I guess as we wrap up here, Merry Christmas if you celebrate. Merry, yes. Happy other holidays if there's any other holidays that you celebrate right now. We happen to be recording <laughs> on the first day of Hanukkah. So happy Hanukkah. That's Yes, that's true. Yeah. It will have long passed yes. by the time this episode's released, but that's okay. Happy belated Hanukkah. Yes. Kwanzaa will be coming up mm-hmm. pretty soon as well. So yeah, just happy time of year. Happy December. As always, please take care of each other. Please do. Have a lovely new year. Yes. Yeah. Yes. All right. (laughs) Goodbye, friends. Goodbye. (laughs)